can't even deal with your damn self, you can't even deal with your woman. You're a crazy son of a bitch, and you need your medication. And you'll trade your phone to be a trace anyway, man. The police are on their way wherever you at. Hello? Hello? Who's calling you? I, I, I'm not sure who you are. Would you like to know who you're talking to? This is a police department. So who are you? Hello? Call the police and have them trace the call. Did this number come up on your caller ID? So the number you're getting is the Chillicothe, Missouri Police Department. Don't comprehend what you're doing, do you? Your number and I'm going to come talk to you. Um, or something. I guess. Well, uh, tell them to come on over so when they when they see me standing here in my uniform, they'll uh, they'll know who we're talking to. Okay. I don't know who you're mad at and to yell at, but you are truthfully speaking to a police department. The man is on your ass right now. Okay, so here, I'm listening. I'm sorry? Come on over. You know what you got? Well, give me your address then. You know what you got? This is a police department. We ain't about shit because you was a man. You wouldn't keep on calling. So I would highly suggest you hang up and find another number, partner, or you're going to have badges banging on your door. Hey, ma'am. Yeah. You're welcome to call. I'm not the person calling, so whoever's calling is going to keep calling until the number's removed. What do you want me to do? What's your birthday? You have to give me your name. You're so bad, give me your name. You're so bad, what's your name again? Hey, your name. Go away then. You're so bad, take it out of my hand. What? I'll get by the wire, but I think I killed them all. 
Oh, you ain't shot shit, man. Listen. Oh, shit. He's trying to call his friends, man. Tell him a fight. Who's the commanding officer here? Ain't you? You think it's okay? Do you know who's in command here? Yeah.
grandmother. I wanted to tear my teeth out. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I want to remember it. I never want to forget it. I never want to forget. And then I realized, like I was shot, like I was shot with a diamond, a diamond bullet right through my forehead. And I thought, my God, the genius of that. The genius, the will to do that. Perfect, genuine, complete, crystalline, pure. And then I realized they were stronger than me because they could stand it. These were not monsters. These were men, trained cadres. These men who fought with their hearts, who have families, who have children were filled with love, but they had the strength, the strength to do that. If I had ten divisions of those men, then our troubles here would be over very quickly. You have to have men the same time were able to utilize their primordial instincts to kill without feeling, without passion, without judgment, without judgment. Because it's judgment that defeats us.
happy that you made that decision. Was it worth it? Well, I wouldn't say I'm happy that I made the decision. I, I, I wouldn't say that my life has been particularly happy over the last five years. It's been stressful beyond comprehension um, for a variety of reasons. But, and I would say, um, being pilloried on a regular basis publicly is definitely part of that. Um, but, you know, you, you, you make your decisions in life, and I decided when I was very young, I'm in my mid-twenties, that I was going to say what I believed and see what happened. I talked to you earlier in the talk about adventure, you know, about the adventure of truth, and I don't think, think I'm happy about what has happened, and I certainly have dragged my family through their fair share of, well, both hell and, and also incomprehensible opportunity. It's ex expanded our lives in both directions to a tremendous degree, but it's certainly been an adventure. It's not been dull, and I don't believe that it—I don't believe that it was a mistake. Whatever happens as a consequence of telling the truth is the best thing that can happen. It doesn't really matter how it looks to you at the moment, or maybe even across the years, because you have to—it's—it's a—it's a—it's it's an article of faith in some sense. Do you believe that reality is better constituted as a consequence of truth or falsity? If you believe that reality is best constituted as a consequence of truth, then you have a responsibility to speak the truth. And you can't assess the consequences and say, well, that was a mistake because part of the decision that reality is best constituted as a consequence of the truth is the decision that no matter what happens is the best if it's a consequence of telling the truth. And so that's what I conclude. It's like, this is what happened because I said what I had to say as clearly as I could say it. And that's as good as it could be. Now, whether or not that's good, well, it's good compared to all possible alternatives, all possible realistic alternatives. That's an article of faith as far as I'm concerned. You know, our culture is predicated on the idea that truth in speech is of divine significance. It's the fundamental presupposition of our culture. Well, if you believe that, then you act it out. You take the consequences. You're gonna take the consequences one way or another, you know. So, you want the truth on your side? Or do you want to hide behind falsehood?
promise you right now that you don't know when it's good or bad. You really don't know. Because you don't know what we're trying to do. You guys don't look at the films. You don't know what happened. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And you never will. Okay? Just for your own information. Sometimes you, it won't, I can tell you it won't be good, and you'll see it won't be good. Sometimes. You'll think it's good, and it isn't any good. Sometimes you'll think it's bad, and it was pretty darn good. Sometimes you'll think it's bad, and it was bad. But basically, you really don't know. The only people that really know are our coaches. And that goes with run blocking, pass defense, all those things. The media, public doesn't know, you guys don't know, not really know. one that doesn't do the right thing. 
You don't downgrade him because he does everything right and may not play as well on Saturday. And you let us make that decision. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Attacking an amateur athlete for doing everything right. And then you want to write articles about guys that don't do things right and downgrade them. The ones that do that. Where are we at in society today? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not a, I'm not a kid. Write something about me. Or our country. You might not a kid that does everything right, that's heart's broken, and then say that the coach is said he was scared. That ain't true. And then to say that we made that decision because Donovan was, because he threatened to transfer, that's not true! So get your facts straight. And I hope someday you have a child and somebody downgrades him and belittles him and you have to look him in the eye and say, you know what? Who's the kid here? Are you kidding me? That's all I got to say. Thank you, George. Yeah, but he is a tough act to have to follow. What a funny guy. He is a very funny guy. <laughs> well, let, let's get right right sure. here, because we talked about this a little bit your last time on the show as well. This whole idea that you have some documents which you say uh, at least reinforce the idea that the government had advanced knowledge uh, that 9-11 could happen Absolutely. and didn't, didn't work to stop it. Now, I find a hard time believing you actually believe that. Why? They I'm a Vietnam veteran and they lied to me about the Gulf of Tonkin incident and that was the false flag operation that put us into the Vietnam War where 58,000 of my generation were killed. And now Mac I was teaching at Harvard when McNamara came through and admitted it never happened. 
false flag operations, if you go through history, happen all the time before these wars. But that's very different from saying that uh, the government knew 9-11 was coming, knew the plans were coming, and didn't try to stop it. Well, uh, take a look at my book. It's no more shocking than our government going down to Nicaragua and infecting hundreds of people with syphilis to see if penicillin worked. George, let me state this. There are great people that work in government. There are dedicated, patriotic people in government. But when you read this book, the scary part of this book for me, you could substitute the word Nazi and it would work. But, but, but the documents you, show, you, you use on 9-11 show, well, there's one document that, that suggests that uh, Tower 7 fell down faster than it could have fallen down just by It doesn't suggest it. It says it. It said it fell at, NIST reports said it fell at free fall. So then you well, make that, the... Wait a minute. That means you got to defy the laws of physics. That means everything was removed in which for anything to fall at But then you make that speed. leap then to the idea that it was demolished by, by explosives inside by the government. I don't, make, I don't make a leap. Why didn't they check for explosives? They never did, if not to eliminate them. They didn't do that. This book, this book is all documents that are out in the public domain. I'm not WikiLeaks. I didn't steal anything. You just got to find them. And the as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. we have Chris Matthews. He actually labeled our news organization, which is neither left or right, racist right-wing hate group. Let's find out why.
Tonight, the heart where the crazies are still on the rise. A study by the Southern Poverty Law Center finds that the number of anti-government patriot groups has exploded over the last four years. According to the study, these groups typically believe that the federal government is conspiring to take Americans' guns away from them and destroy their liberties as it paves the way for a global one-world government. Well, these are groups like the Constitution Party. We are change. DWRC. I really wanted to talk to you and, and ask you about your impressions of Obama's term of his presidency. Are you happy with the way it's going? Are you at WRC in Washington? New York City. New York City. We are change. What, what, no, what, I don't know what that is. Uh, you did bring us up once. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you are. Well, just one thing. You brought us up as a right-wing racist group on your channel. Know, I don't know anything about you. And I you, you said, you said I we said are change is racist and right-wing teabaggers. Yes, you did say that. Can you, can you tell me why you think that of my Myself. Do you have that on tape? Yes, we do. Uh, I, we can pull it up right now. MSNBC slanders. We are change. We are. MSNBC. Yes, you on your desk or sitting, and you mentioned we are change, and you said we are change as a group of right wing racist teabaggers. I really what would like. When was that? This was when you had Mark Potak on, and our group was not related in any way, shape. Mark Potak's with the Southern Christian. Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, I mean we could Google it right now, but you did say that on record, on air. Uh, if we just look up Chris Matthews, and I really would love just to get a clarification. Tell me about on that. your group. Well, we're in the. I obviously knew about it that night for the program, for yeah. the issue that came up. Yeah. We're, well, just a minute. I, I thought you were, you made me think that you were WRC in Washington. And well, you're not. we're in New York. You should have told me that. But I really would love a clarification on why you think we're racist when we're independent, uh, grassroots, I'm not sure. supported by left or right. Bill O'Reilly called me a jihad-loving liberal on Fox News. So it's interesting that you... like. Watch this right, debate and you're interrupting my attempt to watch it. So let me watch it. I know, but you did slander our news organization. I'll look up the thing and I'll show it to you. Don't you Okay. I, don't want, I don't want to see it. Well, we just want some clarification for your slander. You're not going to get it from me tonight. But if you're going to say something about my organization that slanders us, I want at least to talk to you like a man about it and understand why you said it. Talking to me and my answer is no comment, all right? That's my answer. But why would you say and slander us? You've made my your point. But if you don't even know what I'm talking about, why slander a national organization like this? You have worked in the Reagan administration for six years. chief political correspondent,
This weekend, a few troublemakers turned a peaceful protest against Wall Street greed into a violent burst of chaos. The troublemakers carried pepper spray and guns and were wearing badges. <laughs> not doing anything. You heard the woman say that as the police were grabbing people for absolutely no reason, crushing them on the pavement and arresting them. We're not doing anything. We will post all of the video that we have on this protest on our blog and you won't find anyone doing anything that is legal grounds for arrest. Let's take another look at that unprovoked police brutality. The reason that man is being assaulted by the police is because of what he has in his hand. He's holding a professional grade video camera. Since the Rodney King beating was caught on an amateur video camera, American police officers have known video cameras are their worst enemies. They will do anything they can to stop you from legally videotaping how they handle their responsibility to serve and protect you. So this police commander has decided that the correct response to that man shooting video is to grab him and smash his head into a parked Volvo. The commanders are recognizable by their white shirts. The white shirts indicate a rank of lieutenant or above. Here's another courageous commander showing his men how to control the citizenry. His target for showing how tough he is was an unarmed woman who he had to reach across the police security line to grab. one unprovoked use of pepper spray.
by people everywhere are seeking a chance to contribute and to have a role in the decisions that will shape their lives. Leaders need to respond to these aspirations and to help build that better future for all. They need to view civil society as their partner, not as a threat. take this opportunity to update the American people about the situation in Libya. Last month, protesters took to the streets across the country to demand their universal rights and a government that is accountable to them and responsive to their aspirations. But they were met with an iron fist. Freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, and freedom of the press. Come here, you want to get arrested or no? Are pillars of an open and inclusive society. There is a clear responsibility by the Egyptian government to hold accountable those responsible for these attacks. <laughs> Iranian people have sought nothing more than to exercise their universal rights. We call upon the Iranian government to abide by the international obligations that it has to respect the rights of its own people. We call for the immediate release of all who have been unjustly detained. And I'm confident that history will be on the side of those who seek justice. Violence to 
represent a free expression of ideas from their own people.
begin anew. Remembering on both sides that civility is not a sign of weakness and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. 
unite us, instead of belaboring those problems which divide us. Let both sides, for the first time, formulate serious and precise proposals for the inspection and control of arms, and bring the absolute power to destroy other nations under the absolute control of all nations.
do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. whether the September 11th attacks and the response to them are defining moments for Generation X. Generational expert and author Neil Howe is with us now from Washington to talk about that. Mr. Howe, thank you for joining us. Yeah, good evening, Stephen. You have a sense from your research that this is a little bit disorienting for members of Generation X. Well, uh, very much so. Uh, you know, older generations can all recall some time in their lives uh, and they, America was was uh, still a country that that people had a sense of uh, where people had a sense of direction. Big institutions were respected and trusted. Uh, people felt a sense of cohesion as a nation. Uh, Xers probably many of them cannot recall a time like that in their own lives. A lot of them don't recall anything before Watergate. Some of them don't even recall that. Well, that's so, that's pretty unsettling in itself. Is there a lot of soul searching going on now then? Well, you know, even boomers can remember growing up as kids during the American High, and so we can kind of come back to that sense. You know, yes, we have to trust big institutions and government to do big things. I think among Xers, there's a sense of, where am I? A little bit of a disorientation, um, uh, a feeling of wondering where history is going, because all of the time that they remember coming of age as adults, this has been a wide-open, globalist, you know, market-oriented, free-agent society. And Say something about Generation X. Uh, Xers have a checkered reputation. One of the reasons they don't like names But it's an identity hiding label. Yes. And part of it is because they don't think that their generation is always going anywhere. So it's sort of like I'm not the member of the same generation as this person right beside me, right? Um, we also call them the America's 13th generation. They are literally the 13th in a row since the first U.S. generation of Sam Adams and Benjamin Franklin. We also call them 13 because the number conjures up some of the bad luck and ill timing of their life cycle. I mean, after all, when Generation X first came along, the early 1960s, it was a time when childhood was sinking to the very bottom of society's priorities. Families were beginning to break up. Schools didn't seem to function very well anymore. Um, polls showed that having kids was not so important as living the good life. Certainly, uh, parents increasingly said they no longer wanted to stay together for the sake of their kids. And the entire culture turned child. I remember at the time I was growing up in California, there was zero population growth. And I remember all these ZPG stickers, you know, things like, you know, none is fun, right? Jesus was an only child, stuff like that. I remember that. Um, 
And not only were kids a nuisance, they were bad for the planet. And one way I like to sum up sort of the anti-child animus of the entire time that the Gen Xers were growing up is by showing you something that I call a brief chronology of the evil child movie era, right? Rosemary's Baby, Damon, Exorcist, they all had spin-offs and sequels. This was the most profitable genre of Hollywood movie, exactly coinciding with the early childhood of Generation X. And when they were monsters, there were annoyances, like in Kramer versus Kramer. Remember that? They were horribly bratty kids. Have, have any of you recently gone back and seen Willy Wonka? That is a painful movie to watch. Just painful. Why would anyone have a kid like that, right? Uh, or, or Tatum O'Neill in Paper Moon. These were tough kids. You, know, you didn't want to hug these kids. And that was by design. Because the design was to raise up kids. You remember, childhood had becoming more indulged for boomers, but it was totally hands-off for Generation X. The idea is that in an era when we're all going to be self-actualized individuals, kids, like everyone else, should be able to just handle things on their own. They have a problem, give them a latchkey guide or a self-care guide. Give them Judy Bloom, right? Just explain to them how horrible the world really is, right? But I mean, that was, that was considered good for kids. And in fact, when a lot of people ask me, I go into the workplace and they say, you know, we have generations that go along in the get along in the workplace. Why is these Gen Xers are so so free agent like? You know, they just don't commit themselves to the group. It goes back to childhood experience. That's the way Xers were raised. And when uh, Xers came out into the economy and into college in the 1980s. We started to hear a lot of disappointment. I mean, from these childless devil movies to, you know, disappointment in the 80s about the product of our educational systems, how little they read, how little they voted, how little they, they uh, 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 were interested in civic affairs, how greedy they were, all of this stuff. A kind of a negative reputation around uh, Generation X kind of evolved from that in young adulthood. I often point out to boomers who are usually the first to condemn Generation X, that they have huge positive attributes to this generation which have gone neglected. Um, I sometimes tell boomers when they entered the workforce, what did productivity do, right? What has it done with Xers? It's gone back up again. Uh, Xers really, more than anything else, represent a generation of extreme individual creativity and resilience. Xers really, more than anything else, represent a generation of extreme individual creativity and resilience. And a generation of extreme individual creativity and resilience. After 9-11, everyone was talking about the resilience of America. Which generation do you think really showed that resilience? I don't think boomers. I think it's I think it's the who moved my cheese generation. I think I think it's Generation X. I mean, who was most likely in those twin towers at that hour of the morning? Who was in that flight from Pittsburgh? Who was in that wing of the Pentagon? Who was shipping out a couple of weeks later to Afghanistan? You know, getting married, signing their wills. This is Generation X. It can take anything you give it. And let's face it, every generation is what it has to be. And this is what Gen Xers have to do. I'm just to actually illustrate generational change through a very famous uh, survey.
But they were watching you, and then Apple got the big idea to sell them individually. If you begin to think of how we are receiving, how we are listening, how we are sharing our music, our films, our movies today, it's because of Generation X. It's because this generation saw into the future, because they cared about their friends, they wanted to share information. When we study young people and we see the behaviors of young people, we get an eye opener to the future. So millennials, we're watching you. We're watching you and we're studying you because we know that that will be the way. Thank you, Uber. Right? Thank you. Well, Groupon, I don't know anymore. But if you begin to think about the things that came around because of the disruption of millennials, you'll realize that young people change not only the cultures, but the way we live. They're skeptical, but they also are a little bit negative. I am very fortunate, and I'm very conscious of how fortunate I am for the education that I have. The good jobs are tough to get, partly because the corporate world has been racked with mergers and takeovers and downsizings. So many of the new generation are working freelance or starting their own businesses. For many, that also means getting involved in causes. People in our generation, the so-called 20-something generation, volunteer at twice the rate that people in the baby boom generation volunteered when they were our age. They also put very high value on family, not as many workaholics in this group. generation that is profoundly resentful of a government that has saddled it with a four and a half trillion dollar national debt and spends ten times as much on retirees as it does on babies. And of a corporate America that has torn up the old social contract that said you do right by me and I'll do right by you. It wanted to sell its new Impreza model. It had the actor say, Excuse me, but here's what's cool about music, remember? This was such a bust that Subaru changed ad agencies. It's already a legend among ad people. You're making a very grave mistake if you're trying to make broad assumptions about the psyche of an entire generation. Uh, and that's exactly what Subaru did in this ad. Chrysler, on the other hand, were being approached as a segment of people to market to, to advertise to. And what we actually are is a group of people that are immune to advertising. And what we actually are is a group of people that are immune to advertising. By the time he or she has finished high school, an average American kid has watched 350,000 television commercials. A third of a million. We speak and understand the language of media as natives rather than as immigrants. We speak and understand the language of media as natives rather than as immigrants. Backrooms are still the same. I know who worked for Michael Jackson took the There's stand so many people who don't know that. Today. And they don't know it because the media is bought and paid for. This is a hell of a, a betrayal of the American people when you will not tell them the truth because you're afraid that if you tell the truth, your bosses will take your job from you. That's a hell of a thing. You don't have a democracy when you don't have a free dress. You're all slaves and you love it.
So you deserve what you get. The erosion of your democracy. You'll soon be the laughing stock of the world. That works out to less than 50 cents. It's a damn shame. That's why the children are occupying space in New York, in Boston, in Washington, in Chicago, in San Francisco, in other cities. Why? Because they're not looking to you as a source of information for them. Look how long it took you all to talk about what was going on in New York. It took you two weeks because the same people that control the banks control the media. You all know it, but you're afraid to say it. But God put it on Farrakhan to say it for you. And maybe one day you'll get some courage to stand up and give America free media. A real free fourth estate. But right now, you ain't even worth the time of day. Local news headlines, traffic and weather up next on WVOM. I'm glad. Hell, I'm not hiding nothing. You need somebody to tell the truth. You need somebody that's not afraid to die for the truth that you could be made free. Because you're not free. And you don't really know what it means to really be a free white person, a free black person, a free Mexican, a free Arab. If you're afraid to tell the truth, what future does your children have? In a society where truth is brushed to the curb, I thank God for the young man that invented this wonderful technology. That's the man that's freeing the whole planet where Zbigniew Brzezinski could say yesterday it was easier to control a million people than to kill a million people. Then now he says it's easier to kill a million people than to control a million people because the genie is out of the box, the cat is out of the bag, the people all over the world are waking up and you need to wake up. That infectious diseases is gone. There's so many people who have made foolhardy statements not knowing at the time that they made them. I usually show a quote from an old surgeon general or an old uh, pundit in infectious disease. So I thought I'd pull this one out from Sir McFarlane Burnett, who was actually a uh, uh, Nobel Prize winning immunologist, uh, who made the statement, as many did, to write 
about infectious diseases is almost to write of something that has passed into history. The most likely forecast about the future of infectious diseases is that it will be very dull, uh, which is really kind of interesting coming from a semi-genius like McFarlane Burnett. And I think what he did in the mistake that so many people have made is something that several of our panelists have already referred to. And that is a failure to look beyond our own borders in the issue of the globality of health issues. Not only things that are there that will come here, but surprises that we have. So when I think about infectious diseases, I break it down into a few buckets. The established infectious diseases that we know, and when I say I know, we mean that you could reasonably predict today what the disease burden of morbidity and mortality is going to be next year. In my mind, that's the Tony definition of an established infectious disease. But there are also other issues that we're talking about now are diseases that are brand new, that we've never seen them before, or much more common diseases that re-emerge. So let's take a very quick look at established infectious disease and show you what I mean. So there are diseases and disease burden, and these are projected every year, and they're almost always right. For example, lower respiratory infections, and these are deaths. There's going to be over 2.5 million deaths. There are about 1.6 to 1.8 million deaths of tuberculosis, hepatitis B and hepatitis C, diarrheal diseases. It is of note that I have HIV AIDS here on an established infectious disease.